all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> I'm David. I'm Rachel. And this is All Bad Things. And we're still in tax season, which is why you're (laughs) hearing my voice. (laughs) Yes, but my voice is sounding better than it did last time. It is. You sound much better. Yeah, I feel much better, too, fortunately. Yes, very good. Sounded like death in the last episode. Well, not like death, but just it was close. Death warmed over? Yes. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) There we go. I'm kidding. Um, Uh... Follow us, yes. Insta, Twitter, Facebook, all, at all Bad Things Pod. All the social media. <laughs> yes, um, join our Facebook discussion group. You only have to answer one question, um, which is what's your favorite disaster, or one of your favorite disasters, or something. Just put something in there. It doesn't have to be your literal favorite disaster. No. Um, it's also okay if you take some slight exception to the term favorite disaster, but. <laughs> um, also, wash your hands always, just because it's a good idea, not because of the coronavirus. <laughs> um, just wash your hands all the time. Yeah. Just because. Please. Yeah. That's it's or at really least, gross if you don't. And occasionally use the little... Um, Hand sanitizer? Yes. Not all the time, because that'll really dry out your skin. It can. Yeah. It can. But if you're not able to wash your hands, that's a good alternative, because it... <laughs> Kills germs. <laughs> and for other hygiene advice, check out our All Bad Hygiene. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> podcast, which that doesn't exist. Um, Sawbones did a really good episode on the coronavirus for anyone who's frightened about it. Unfortunately, like it sort of seems to be sort of like The Walking Dead, where the worst part wasn't the zombies; it was everyone's reaction to them. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was everything after. Yeah, it's it's the human element to it. Um, but yeah. I feel like there must have been some sort of correction or something I meant to have said, but... From last week? Yeah, I don't remember. Oh, well. Uh, oh, that, it's that Leap means, Day. That means it was perfect. Yes, it is Leap it Day. It is Leap Day when we're recording today, mm-hmm. so hope everyone took a leap. <laughs> um, <laughs> a good one. Just, you know, not off anything. Take a leap of faith today. Leap of faith. There we go. Um, there was a really funny old Frasier episode about... It was called Take a Leap. And Fraser kept uh, encouraging people to take a chance on Leap Day. And so he encouraged a bunch of people to do it. And it all ended up horribly. So he chickened out on something. And then that ended horribly for him. So anyway, it was just funny. For all you Fraser fans yeah. out there. <laughs> My mom watches Fraser on a loop, literally. So There's a couple of shows that you do that with as well. <laughs> the Office and Top Chef, mostly. Yes, Top Chef. Top Chef. Um, also... This is coming out Monday, March 2nd. 2nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you live in a Super Tuesday state and yes. you haven't voted early, be sure to vote. Um, if you're unaffiliated, check and see if your state has check open and see primaries. Because yeah. Yeah. in some cases you can. In the state of North Carolina, unaffiliated voters are allowed to vote in the Democratic, Republican, and Libertarian primaries. So that might be the case in some other states as well. Some states do have closed primaries, so it's not going to matter if you're unaffiliated. But if you are affiliated, go vote in your party's primary. If you're unaffiliated, see if you can pick one. Um, 
but fucking vote. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. And if you <laughs> and I and I still haven't. I'm no, gonna, but I'm going to on you Tuesday. You have Tuesday. Yes. Um, and if you're not registered to vote and it's too late now, register in time, please, for the general for the election, big election in November. Um, super important. Kind of the one little thing we can do. Um, and then get involved locally. I went to a Raleigh bus rapid transit meeting today, mm-hmm. um, and I was really happy because the city of Raleigh is apparently um, very boldly stating a mission of equitable transit and specifically like housing security and taking care of low income people and um, people in transitionary that? situations. The city of Raleigh, damn it. Good. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm fine if my tax money goes to things like that. Exactly. And actually, the new, uh, I mean, when I used to work downtown, the bus station was, uh, looked like a bus station <laughs> well, in the city. And it's oh yeah, they a million it. times better now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they're talking about some really cool things. So that's the thing. Like, I went to this meeting with my friend, and like, there was maybe 30 people there, but... There are literal, there were multiple representatives from city government and city planning that stood around and would listen to people, whatever they had to say. So that's the thing is that a lot of people forget the most change you can typically affect is on the local level. And that's what affects you the most anyway. Yes. Um, so it's it's very important to get involved locally. That's where if, if you feel a little um, unable to affect change on a national level, Think local. And, and change on a national level is slow and it's takes a slow. lot of time. It's very slow. You know, we, it's we very difficult to infiltrate. Yeah, and, Donald yeah. Trump didn't fall out of the sky. It was mm-hmm. a long process to get to him. A long, slow slog <laughs> downhill yes. to our current state. But anyway, I digress. But hey, if you, uh, like I said, I'm, we do not uh, blame voters here for anything. If you go out and vote, you have the right to go out for you vote your conscience. whoever you want to. You vote for who you feel will best represent your interests. That's your only obligation. Mm-hmm. That's, But it is an obligation as a citizen. Yes, it is. So, and if you're not in the U.S., if you're in any sort of democratic nation or nation that has voting, you got the same, you have the same... Uh, onus on you too for whenever uh, your you, voting comes and, around, and you don't have an electoral college to deal with. Well, <laughs> you might have a queen to deal with or a parliament. That, is that true. could be a little tricky. But they yell at each other yes, in parliament they do. sometimes. It's fun. <laughs> it is kind of fun. It's not very civil, but it's fun. Yes. You've been staring at that paper the whole time. Uh, have I? Are you super I'm... eager to get started or something? I guess maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Since we've already gone into. Our this is a short intro. Voting. It this is. is a short intro. We need to start making them shorter, though. <laughs> oh, oh! I didn't have any um, one-star reviews to to I, drag. Uh, there might be some. I just haven't checked. So oh, okay. Yeah, we'll check them as we uh, go through the story. Apparently, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, oh! I got no, yeah. no. Sorry, I was a little slow on the uptake on that one. So speaking of the story, yes. Which I won't pretend I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. What it is. We often have that, uh, trying to hide it. I'm trying to hide it from you so you can print it. And it, it's worked, I think, We once. need to get our, uh, yeah, I think we need to get our printer set up and working here. Yeah. Oops, we both t- decided to take yes, a break at did. the same time. <laughs> Anywho. So, dear listeners, you already know what the topic is going to be. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing some of you might not know what this is yeah. referencing. So yeah. we're going to get into all that. But I, I have a feeling most people 
have at least heard of this. Well, what is today's disaster, David? Today, well, not today. <laughs> what the are you title today? <laughs> of the episode is "The Day the Music Died." I was very excited to see that you were doing this. I kind of been not wanting to do this for good, a while. No. But because good. it is so seminal, like yes. this was a turning point in music, American music history. This was. So, yes. Um, where did that phrase come from? Well, we will get into that. Okay. So, in the early morning hours of February 3rd, 1959, so we're going back okay. 61 years. Yeah, almost Just exactly. past Just 61 past, yeah. years. Three performers, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and JP the Big Bopper Richardson, joined their pilot, Roger Peterson, for what was supposed to be a flight to their next tour stop. But the passengers and their pilot never made it to their destination. Instead, the four were involved in a deadly crash that took the lives of all aboard. Mm. This tragedy has been remembered as, quote-unquote, the day the music died. Real quick, I'm pretty sure last week we promised a miracle so just in case anyone hasn't figured it it. out. (laughs) We ended up not going that direction. Sorry. (laughs) If you were all ready for something fun, this isn't it. This is not it. Sorry. I I don't think I knew the Big Bopper's real name. J.P. Richardson, Mm -hmm. huh? Sounds like J.P. Morgan or something, or... Sounds like somebody's name in 1959. Yes, J.P. Richardson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Big Bopper. Do I get to do I get to sing excerpts of songs? Sure. Tonight? Yeah, okay. absolutely. You might even have oh, a. Oh, you should have started this whole thing by going hello, baby. <laughs> You're, right. You're right. I should have. <laughs> Since you knew the topic, you should have suggested That's that before. That's true. We started You're recording. right. You're right. We'll have to do like an alternate take. Uh, so Buddy Holly had been the biggest star of the bunch, known for such hits as That'll Be the Day and Peggy Sue. The teenaged Valens, he was 17. Yeah, he was real young. Was an up-and-coming performer, having nearly made it to the top of the charts in 1958 with his ode to his high school sweetheart with the song Donna. Richardson, better known as the Big Bopper, was a Texas songwriter and radio DJ who caught the nation's ear with the catchy tune Chantilly Lace. And a pretty face. Mm-hmm. And a ponytail. I was going to say, I can't down. remember the next lines. Wiggling and walk and giggling and talk loud. Make the world go round. Future potential one-star reviewers do not judge us on this episode. Oh, they can fucking go ahead and do it and I'll drag your ass. So at the time, Holly and his band, consisting of Waylon Jennings, Tommy... Oh, Al- mm-hmm. really? You didn't know that? I did not know really? that. Really? Okay. No. Tommy Alsop and Carl Bunch were playing on the Winter Dance Party Tour across the Midwest. Rising artists Richie Valens, J.P. Richardson, the Big Bopper, and Dion and the Belmonts, uh-huh. I did not know they were on this tour, Yeah. had joined the tour as well. Long journeys between the venues on, on, on board the cold, uncomfortable tour buses adversely affected the performers with cases of flu and yeah. even frostbite. Oh, jeez. Oh, so try playing an instrument with, like, frostbitten fingers and sing could. with, like, I don't a, think you could flu. perform music having gone through either of these things, but they do. Oh, well, well, we'll they get were into young that. for one thing. But. We will get into that. So after stopping at Clear Lake, which is in Iowa, to perform... Uh, and frustrated by the conditions, Holly chose to charter a plane to reach their next venue in Moorhead, oh. Minnesota. Richardson, suffering from the flu, swapped places with Jennings, Waylon Jennings. Oh, wow. Taking his seat on the plane while Alsup lost his seat to Valens on a coin toss. I heard, I remember hearing about that. That's, uh, oh man, yeah. So first of all, I'm not sure that I knew that Richie Valens did Donna. 
Is that the old mm-hmm. yep. That's probably his biggest. That is his biggest. Hit, that's I, his biggest. Hit. Well, I think that's the more I'm. I'm thinking chart wise. Oh, chart wise, Donna yeah, reached uh, number as, two, I believe. As far as what anyone knows now, it's La Bamba. I think so. But they also made the biopic. He with, also uh, does uh, Blue Diamond Films. Yep. Oh, I'll get into that. Okay. Uh, he also did a really great rendition of uh, "You're Mine." You're mine. I, w- I would sing it, but I'd, I'm too embarrassed. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> it's a song you would know if I played okay. it. And it's a song at that time, I think 50 different performers like a standard, did the song. Sort yes. of, yeah. Like a catalog song. You know what I realized? This is a very apropos topic, considering a week ago, um, my band's drummer up and left. Yes, and there you go. Well, we'll, we'll get into drummers in this oh, episode okay. as well. Because something interesting... It's our own day the music died for our band. Something interesting happens on this tour, which are things about these music. I did not know. That's that's very cool. I'm because I only know the broad strokes of this story. That's kind of all I knew. I knew the broad strokes, yeah. and uh, I'd seen La Bamba a couple times. Mm. I'm sure that movie would probably still hold up. And I have seen the Buddy Holly story, but not in a long time. Mm. I saw that movie when I was like 18 or 19, something like that. Um, I think I watched that movie because I did my term paper. Okay. On the history of rock yes, and roll, uh-huh. I think that's when I watched that movie. Okay, I know that. Um, Jesse, why does he chew, why does he chew the record albums every time we record? Especially during a music episode. <laughs> Apparently, um, uh, Buddy Holly, like I'm sure we'll get into the impact potential impact on music, but um, uh, the Beatles were hugely influenced by Buddy Holly. Well, let's get into Buddy Holly, shall we? Let's do. What a nice little segue. So Charles Harden Holly. Charles who Harden. was born September 7th, unfortunately, 1936, unfortunately passed uh, February 3rd, 1959. So he was 26 at mm-hmm. the time. Yep. So, Am I doing my math? 25. Right? 20. Yeah. No. February. No, he was born September. He died. Oh, February, I'm doing. I'm so, sorry. I'm yeah. doing my um my math the opposite way. He was 22. He was 22. I do Jesus. taxes. <laughs> I do math for a living. <laughs> Well, you just didn't land a bunch of people. I, <laughs> I'm and maxed was, out anyway. That was in no way a plane crash joke. I just realized that. Oh, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I know I what meant you meant. As clients. You're right. He was 22, 22. at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it. I can't do the math either, so I can't say Are you going to go anything. into his family, too? Because he had a mm, no. baby? Oh, well, I mean, let's, oh, okay, okay. Let's, let's delve into him okay. a little bit, shall we? So, Charles Harden Holly was known professionally as Buddy Holly. He was an American musician and singer-songwriter who was a central and pioneering figure of the mid-1950s rock and roll. And would spawn many an inspiration for hipsters <laughs> decades Probably, later. Yeah. The Buddy Holly glasses have come and gone they and have, been actually, seminal right. for years. And they're known as Buddy Holly glasses. That's how... Like, for just the short period of time that he was around, he was that influential mm-hmm. in retrospect, you know. He was born in Lubbock, Texas, to a musical right. family during the Great Depression and learned to play guitar and sing alongside his siblings. His style was influenced by gospel music, country music, and rhythm and blues, which he performed in Lubbock with his friends from high school. So he had a, a garage band, That is the basically. basis of all early rock and roll music. That's right, yeah. Those three things, essentially. That's right. Country, um, R&B, R&B, and gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He made his first appearance on local television in 1952. Mm. So he would have been 16. Mm-hmm. And the following year, he performed with the group uh, Buddy and Bob with his friend <laughs> with his friend Bob Montgomery. <laughs> B- 
Buddy and Bob. Buddy and Bob. But the crickets are who we end. We'll get oh, into okay, that. Okay. Yep. In 1955, after opening for Elvis Presley. Jeez, what a get. He decided, why not pursue a career in music? <laughs> if you're opening for yeah, Elvis, you can kind of write a meal Be- ticket, I would Because uh, just anybody does that. Like... Everybody wow. has a story of opening for Elvis Presley. Wow. But if he's just sort of a small town Texas boy. Still. You know? I no, mean, no, I mean for him, his own sort of like internal, well, maybe I I'll guess. give this a shot. I don't know why I talked like that. I don't think he actually talked like that. But anyway. So he would open for Presley three more times that hmm. year. And his band style shifted from country and western to entirely rock and roll. Oh, okay. In October that year, when he opened for Bill Haley and the Comets, mm-hmm. he was spotted by Nashville scout Eddie Crandall who helped him get a contract with Deco Records. Oh, they they were a big label. Can can you name a uh Bill Haley on the Comet song? Their biggest hit. Well, they're uh they are technically granted with the first rock and roll hit ever. Um and that song was that song. We're gonna rock, rock, rock yes. till broad daylight. We're gonna rock, gonna rock around the Rock clock around the clock. Tonight. That's right. Used as the very early Happy Days theme song. Yes, it was. Did you know that? I did. Do you know the Happy Days theme song? The other one. Sunday, Monday, Oh, happy that's the one. That, that's the more famous one, yeah. I think. So Holly went to producer Norman Petty in Clovis, New Mexico, and recorded a demo of That'll Be the Day. Among, that I die. That I die. Mm-hmm. Among other go. songs. See? Good job. Yeah, thank you. Petty, Petty became the band's manager and sent the demos to Brunswick Records, which released it as a single credited to just the Crickets. Okay, so so it wasn't Buddy Holly and the Crickets at that point, yeah. Which became the name of Holly's band. Mm-hmm. In September 1957, as the band toured, That'll Be the Day topped the U.S. and U.K. singles charts. Its success was followed on in October by another major hit, Peggy Sue. Oh, so he oh, had Peggy huge Sue. back-to-back hits in back-to-back months, international hits. So the album that's pretty impressive yes. too. The UK and that that is uh, again why like the Beatles knew of him mm-hmm. was because yeah Rocket was just starting to reach the across the pond as it were. The album Chirping Crickets, <laughs> released in November 1957, reached number five on the UK albums chart. Holly made his second appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show in January 1958 and soon after toured Australia and then in the UK. Just for context, for anyone who doesn't know. If you landed the Ed Sullivan show back in oh, the day, that was huge. you made it. That was the biggest television show potentially in the world at that time. I don't think there's even one you could equate it to today because there's mm-hmm. several. That This was like the only one. Maybe Carson was on back then. Was, I was he gonna on s- that far back? Not that far back. I yeah, think, I think Carson was before. the successor maybe to Ed Sullivan. Hmm. I'm not sure yeah, if they were on at the same time or yeah. not. Carson was before my time. Um, yeah, he was. Still, <laughs> Ed he Sullivan was, was like before my parents' yes, time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he was during my parents' time. Sadly, yeah. anyway. So uh, in early 1959, he assembled a new band consisting of future country music star Waylon Jennings, yeah. who was playing bass, famed session musician Tommy Alsop on guitar, and Carl Bunch on drums, while Holly himself also played guitar. Was Jennings playing string bass or guitar at this point? I want to say he was playing string bass. Yeah, it took a little bit for That's, rock to catch up yes. with it with the electric bass. Yeah, yeah, that was still the thing at this time for most bands. Yeah, it was so, still part of the sound. Yes. So they embarked on a tour of the Midwestern U.S. 
He is often, uh, he being Buddy Holly, mm-hmm. often regarded as the artist who defined the traditional rock and roll lineup of two guitars, bass, and drums. Mm. Yeah, that's true. He was a major influence on later popular music artists, including Elvis Presley, Bob Dylan, The Beatles, The Rolling yep. Stones, Eric Clapton, Elvis Costello, Marshall Crenshaw, and Elton John. You add, just, just, just some, everybody. You, if I've you, never heard of any of those people. <laughs> if you ask anyone who their influences were and then go back another generation and then go back another generation you get to buddy holly yeah. basically is how he's like the grandfather for uh he, like the one of the fathers of rock and roll but by now that's like the great grandfather he, he would be uh he would be on the mount rushmore of, yeah. uh, of rock and roll yeah I, I would i would agree with that yeah he was among the first artists inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall mm-hmm. of Fame in 1986. Rightfully so. And Rolling Stone magazine ranked him as number 13 in its lists of in its list of 100 greatest artists. Okay, but I think those lists are bullshit. They are. They're stupid. Yeah. They, but they he do is, the stupidest things on those lists. He is heavily influential. Oh, I agree. And with I that. love. I mean, I listen to a bunch of this stuff today. Yeah. I love listening to the Big Bopper not so much because that's kind of the old style swing. Well, it, he, you know, tongue he was in cheek. a little more novel. Yeah. yeah. But Richie Valens and Buddy Holly had mm-hmm. some legit talent. And they're... Do you like, as a drummer, the yes, drum beat to yes. uh, Peggy Sue especially? Well, that one, the the song that I like the most of his is um, uh, Waitin', Crying, Hoping. Oh. Yeah, it's a really good song. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure I know that one. But I the two of them, know his hits, yeah. you would probably know it if you'd heard it. It's not mm-hmm. one of his more popular mm-hmm. songs, but it's my favorite of his. Um, but him and Richie Valens, when you're listening to their music, you can just hear the foundation of rock and roll. Yeah. It's like, there it is. They're the, the first ones to like, do it. There's, there's the blueprint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now everybody else just build on top of this. Oh, oh Demetrius is sneezing. <laughs> yes. That was a, oh, you okay, kitty? He had a little sneezy fit. Yes. Um, now and... you get Demetrius sneezing. I hope, <laughs> hope the mic picked that up. Um, and stylistically, uh, he was his signature was a little bit nasally, and the oh, you know that was kind of oh, like in fact that, that's coming out of the rhythm and blues influence. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're right. Um, one of my favorite little odes to Buddy Holly is in, not to bring this all back to We Didn't Start the Fire, as I did in the Thalidomide <laughs> episode, but um, before, the, right before the verse that starts, talk with the homicide, children of Thalidomide, whoa-oh, Buddy Holly Ben-Hur. He does this little whoa-oh, just like Buddy that. Holly does. I'm trying it was to a get clear... that song out of my brain, even though you're talking about it. Ryan started the fire. <laughs> anyway, um, it was just a cute little tongue-in-cheek thing because that's what my Peggy. He was a little bit um, n- like he added that novel twist, but his guitar playing was legit, especially yes, was. for the sound that twangy sound early on brought over from. Okay, I'm gonna stop. I'm nerding out on music now. Aren't you all so glad it's not? I'm not nerding out on taxes right now. But that's the thing. Both of these guys, I'm about to get into Richie Valens, Mm -hmm. took rock from that twangy sound to more of a straightforward. Started developing it into genuine rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because honestly, faster with a with a faster pace. Honestly, at this point, Elvis was still in his gospel phase a little bit. Yeah. So. Like you said, Buddy Holly opened for Elvis, but then he influenced Elvis, right. bringing him more into a, a rock sensibility. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody could become as famous as Elvis 
But it seems like for at the time, Buddy Holly was pretty close. In popular... Yeah, it'd it'd be interesting. I mean, there's a thousand what-ifs. You know, like if he had lived, what would have happened with his career after that? But, yeah. So, on to Richie Valens. You didn't mention his family. Or are are you going to? That he was married? What, What was I? Okay. He was married and had a baby. I think I get into that later. Okay. Yes. Okay. I think I, I do remember. Married is like a, a baby himself, but back yes. then people got married very young and had yeah. kids very back young. Back then so. when you were 22, you'd already been married seven years. <laughs> right, basically. So Richie Valens. Uh, Valens was born Richard Stephen Valenzuela in Pacoima, a neighborhood in the San Fernando Valley region of Los Angeles. Oh, he's an L.A. boy. His parents, Stephen Valenzuela and Concepcion Conco Reyes, were from Mexico. He was the second of five siblings with older brother Bob Morales, younger sisters Connie and Irma, and younger brother uh, Mario Ramirez. What? So one of the things that makes him really remarkable is that he was one of the first Latino breakout music think, stars, I, mainstream music stars. I think the first, maybe? Certainly as far as hmm. rock and roll is concerned, because yeah. rock and roll wasn't even a thing, really, when yeah, this was going true. on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, possibly. But... Um, so Valenzuela was brought up hearing traditional Mexican mariachi music, mm-hmm. as well as flamenco guitar, R&B, there you go, mm-hmm. and jump blues. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that is, but... <laughs> I'm actually not blues. sure either. Yeah. All I could think of was jump, jive, and whale, but that's not blues. No. Jump blues. So <laughs> Valenzuela expressed an interest in making music of his own by the age of five. Oh, baby. He was encouraged by his father to take up guitar and trumpet and later taught himself the drums. The Valenzuela oh, that's right. he was a drummer. The Valenzuela was left-handed. And he was so eager to learn the guitar that he mastered the traditionally right-handed version of the instrument. But, well, he didn't even need to because later on, McCartney and other people, mm-hmm. uh, Hendrix would all flip it. But if he was just like, okay, you're telling me I can't learn this left-handed? Fine, I'll fucking they, learn it your they way. They might not have even made left-handed guitars then. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's possible too. I mean, some people have just restrung them and mm-hmm. flipped them, but yeah. So by the time, and he has a really interesting story. A lot of the stuff I didn't know yeah. until I researched this. So um, by the time Valenzuela was attending junior high school, he would bring his guitar to school and sing and play songs to his friends on the bleachers. Hmm. When he was 16 years old, he was invited to join a local band, the Silhouettes. That's such a 50s name. It is. It's also not the group famous for its hit song, Get a Job. Oh, I know that song. Yes. Get a job. Mm-hmm. They were also called the Silhouettes, I guess. <laughs> There's so many Silhouettes. Silhouettes on the Shade for <laughs> anyone else who listened to Oldies Radio back in the day. I'll decide what's best for the Silhouettes. Is that like... <laughs> that is from La Bamba. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like you were filling in a different name and it was from That Thing You Do or something. I don't know. No. Okay. I, I did. I've probably seen La Bamba at least half a dozen really? times. Really? I've yeah, it's never a really, seen it's, it. It's a really good movie. I've never seen it. I'm sure it holds up. Um, Anything with Lou Diamond Phillips is timeless. (laughs) Yes, they all hold up. (laughs) But this one I think especially would. So he began as a guitarist, and when the main vocalist left the group, (laughs) right after the argument, (laughs) Valenzuela assumed the position. On October 19th... He had a good voice. He did. He had a great voice. Um, On October 19th, 1957, he made his performing debut with The Silhouettes. At... um, and this is 16. Yes, at, Val- at, at, I don't know how, I, okay, at Pacoima Junior High School in the San, and in the San Fernando High, Valley High School. Oh, 
So he was playing school gigs, mm-hmm. like high school and junior high dances, yep. a year before he ended up going on tour with fucking Buddy Holly. Mm-hmm. About That's uh, about sixteen months before. That's ridiculous. So Bob Keen, who is uh, depicted in the movie, obviously La Bamba, okay. played by Joey Pants. Oh, really? Jo- Joe Pantalonio. Pantalonio. All I only know him as Joey Pants, yes. too. The, he was Ralphie from uh, The Sopranos. Yes. Yeah. One of the greatest actors ever, and I'm guessing because he acts the same way in every movie that that's probably what he's like in real life. He, was he an <laughs> asshole in the movie, too? In the, Not the an Lama asshole, too? but he's kind of a smart ass. A smart ass, okay. In just about every role he plays. Yeah. And, so I'm guessing that he's just playing himself most <laughs> of the time. Probably. He's... he's Stereotyping and typecasting himself. Yes. So Bob Keane was the owner and president of a small record label, Delphi Records, in Hollywood. Another big label down the line. Yes, it was. And was given a tip in May 1958 by a San Fernando high school student about a young performer from Pacoima by the name of Richard Valenzuela. Kids knew the performer as the Little Richard of San Fernando. Oh, that's a big compliment back in that day, because talk about one of the most charismatic uh, performers of the time. So, swayed by the Little Richard comparison, Keane went to see Valenzuela play on a Saturday morning matinee at a movie theater. (laughs) Saturday morning! At a movie theater. Oh my god. In San Fernando, I guess. Back then, you just... Played, played live a gig music? wherever you could. Saturday yeah. mornings at a movie theater? Yeah, wherever. Jesus. I guess whoever okay. will have you. <laughs> yeah. So, impressed by the performance, he invited the youth to audition at his home in the Silver Lake area of Los Angeles, where he had a small recording studio in his basement. This is depicted in the movie as well. Okay. After this first, after his first audition, Keane signed Valenzuela to mm. Delphi on May 27th, 1958. And asked him to anglicize his name a little. <laughs> yeah, and we're about to get into that. Mm. At this point, the musician took the name Richie because, as Keen said, there were a bunch of Richards around at the time. Well, there always have been. <laughs> and I wanted it to be different. But think of in the 50s. I think probably every third man was named Richard, Richard. back then. Well, Richie Cunningham. Yeah, <laughs> Again, exactly. To bring it back to happy days. Similarly, Keen recommended shortening his surname to Valens from Valenzuela to widen his appeal beyond any obvious ethnic group. Ugh. Not necessarily. That we're talking 1958. It was incredibly common. People were still doing this in the 80s, by the way. People this, this still wasn't, do it. People, so, yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, de- de-ethnicize? Yeah. I don't know what the correct term is. I'm sure they've covered it on Code Switch. Probably. Um, but it's... Well, not yeah. necessarily de-ethnicize. Take people's focus away from... It's called anglicization. Sure. <laughs> if I can pronounce it. Anglicization. 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 Make it sound more American. American. Or English. Yeah. It's sad. Because um, Valenzuela isn't that hard to pronounce. No, and it's not that uncommon. Yeah. Like, but it could open him to... Well, plus, this was back in the day when people were passing, too. You know? Like, yeah. if, if you were a mixed-race person or a light-skinned, you could potentially just get away with pretending you were white, and it would make life easier for you, so... So maybe that's kind of the... They were like, hey, you could just pretend you're white. Although he did do La Bamba, which was Spanish language. So. Yes, it was. Yeah. So Valens played several songs in Keen's studio that he later recorded at Gold Star Studios in Hollywood. The demos primarily consisted of Valens singing and playing guitar, but some of them also featured him playing drums. Mm-hmm. These originals can be heard on the Delphi album Richie Valens' The Lost Tapes, which I listened to a couple oh, yeah. songs on that. I love that they did, and this was a while back, but they did release a lot of those old studio recordings. Oh, yeah, because they were just sticking around. Yeah, because yeah, they're just sitting around. People yeah. are like, why are these 
like we could just put them out on the internet and every, right well you know, because there wasn't the internet back that's then. true too. yeah yeah actually it's a good point yeah like the um the all-star recording whatever they called it oh god what did they call it it was like johnny cash elvis um and two other people that i can't remember like we're all just fucking around in a studio one day and they they ended up releasing the recordings i mean they're not polished by any sure. means but it's just it's basically these four legends just having a jam session exactly i'll listen to that exactly and yeah. let's see what they come up with mm-hmm. so two of the tracks laid down in Keen's studio were taken to gold star studios and had additional instruments dubbed over to create full mm-hmm. band recordings yeah donna was one track mm-hmm. although two other pre- preliminary versions of the song were made both available on the lost tapes and the other was an instrumental entitled richie's blues mm-hmm. the first songs recorded at gold star studios at a, sting- at a single studio session in July 1958 were Come On, Let's Go and Framed. Pressed and released within days of the recording session, the record was yeah. a success. Valens's next record, a double A-side, get these songs. A double A-side? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was releasing two singles at once, just okay. on the same 45. Huh. Uh, the final record to be released in his ni- lifetime, sadly, oh, wow. had the song Donna, written about a real-life girlfriend, coupled, coupled with La Bamba. Oh, wow. So his two biggest hits were on, on one record. Well, it is a double A side mm-hmm. then because there's no B side to that. It sold over one million copies and oh, was awarded wow. a gold disc by the RAAA. RIAA? So this, the Recording Industry Association Just, of America. Okay. Uh, RIAA. Yep. The Rihanna. The <laughs> Rihanna. Ella, 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 A. So by autumn of 1958, the demands of Valens' career forced him to drop out of high school. But well, hey, you can finish it down the road. <laughs> off the right off the bat, he's got three hit songs. Well, he could have finished down the road. Poor kid. Well, maybe who knows? No, well, no, I just mean. Well, I, I I see what you mean. The turn things took. So Bob Keen, who again, or Joe Pantal, Pantal, Joey Pantalano, Pants, Joey Pants. <laughs> so Bob Keen booked appearances at venues across the United States and performances on television programs. Mm-hmm. Valens had a fear of flying. All right, this is a oh, really geez, freaky is, story. Oh. So, Valens had a fear of flying due to a freak accident at his junior high school when, on January 31st, 1957, two airplanes collided over the playground in midair. Holy shit. Over a school. Over a school. Playground. Everyone on board died, but the debris from that uh, shot all over the ground killed or injured several of his friends. Oh my god. Like that, So, that like a real life like the... Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. That's yes. how I just put in like a real life Breaking Bad just happened. Oh my god! Except well before they had any like well let's all um, how are you feeling and let's PTSD oh, yeah. like care of this no I'm sure the kids were just like told look we we carted your friend off just go back to class yeah just, just watch the Jesus yeah it's it's crazy but That's get this horrific. but there's there's another twist to this as well okay Valens had not been in school that day because he was attending his grandfather's funeral oh and he remained for the rest of his short life upset about the loss of his classmates oh man he eventually overcame his fear enough to travel by airplane for his career he went to Philadelphia to appear on Dick Clark's American oh, Bandstand yeah that was a big deal back then television show where he sang come on let's go Okay. Which is pro- that's probably my favorite song of his. Where he pretended to sing "Come On, Let's Go." I don't think they ever did live performances no? on bandstand. I don't think so. I think oh, on ba- oh, I, I see what you mean. Y- like I, I the, thought, like on you're bandstand. talking about on live TV. I think it's like Soul Train that they, they lip synced. Yeah, do the lip sync and do all their where you can clearly tell that like nobody's really playing. no. <laughs> 
So in November, Valens flew to Hawaii where he performed alongside Buddy Holly and Paul Anka. Oh, Paul Anka, your favorite. <laughs> Put your head on my shoulder. me in your arms. If you are having serious anxiety and you need to go to sleep, just put on a Paul Anka record. I'm sure it'll take like three. I, I hope it takes three minutes. Because if you Paul get it. Paul Anka. Yeah. Oh, he's the anybody one who who's, did. Anybody who's watched even one mob movie has heard a Paul Anka song. He's the one who did Rock Swings. And he did the swing version of Nirvana. Is. Hello, hello, really? hello. I didn't know hello. that. You, I've never, I've never shown heard, you that. No, I've never heard that. Oh my god! I don't want to hear that. Do you remember the really Osbournes don't. back in the day? Yeah. Do you remember the crazy? Hey, but that's how it goes. They there, did like there the is swing a version. There is a group. Like that. There's a group that I heard. His name is uh, Richard Cheese or Dick yes, Cheese. Yes, yes, I know of him. That, his, that's parody. It is, but his band is called Lounge Against the Machine. Yes, and I, I like his swing version. Both. I gotcha. Okay, I'll have to I'll have to play you Rock Swings by Paul Anka because you haven't lived until you've heard Paul Anka sing "Smells Like Teen Spirit" I, as a swing song. I think that's gonna ruin everything for me. I if think I hear it will, that. but I'm gonna play it for you. <laughs> no, anyway. I'm, I'm gonna put it in my headphones then. Any, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So uh, so he's, he's done this gig in Hawaii with Buddy Holly and Paul Anka. So Buddy, <laughs> Buddy Holly and, and Paul, Paul Anka. Anka. <laughs> uh, so Buddy Holly was obviously impressed with the young balance yeah. and added him to his bill. Mm. <clears throat> and um, and added, added him to the bill of legendary disc jockey Alan Freed's Christmas Jubilee in oh, New York Alan City. Freed. yeah. Singing, singing with some of those who had greatly influenced his music, including Chuck Berry... Bo Diddley and the Everly Brothers. Yeah, okay. no, they were a big sure. They were a big deal back then. So he, so from right from the drop, this guy's he's career is yeah. skyrocketed. Just Damn, and who knows where he would have gone? We're t- all of this is happening within a sixteen month. Yeah, he's like frame. Se- 16, 17 years old. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. So wow. on to uh, the Big Bopper. Hello, baby. I just like saying that. So Giles Perry or JP Richardson. Oh, I didn't know that's what hit. Was okay. born in Sabine Pass, Texas. So we have all, two, of, all, two of the well, three. No, no, that's Texas right. and Richie California. Richie was LA. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a couple Texas boys and an LA boy. Mm-hmm. The oldest son of oil field worker Giles Perry Richardson Sr. and his <laughs> wife Elise. Okay. They had two other sons, Cecil and James. <laughs> they just liked Cecil and Giles. Well, this is Sabine Pass, Texas, wherever that is. <laughs> and an oil... Yeah. What, what did his dad do? Oil field worker. Oil, oh, okay. Yeah. So it wasn't like a baron or anything like that. Like, Could have been. I mean, that's what it... No, oil field worker is like a blue collar job. Not, sure. Um, if, yeah. Not like... No, I know what you mean. <laughs> no. The family soon moved... Uh, to Beaumont, Texas. Beaumont, Texas. Where Richardson graduated from Beaumont High School in 1947 and played on the That's Royal... That's right, he was, he was much older, older yes. than the other guys, yeah. And played on the... Not old, but no. still much older. Well, for this them. time, he's old. Like, he's like this, 30. At this doing... time when you're 32, you're like 57. <laughs> Basically. In like today's age. It's in in uh, modern conversion. <laughs> 60 se- 67, maybe. The conversion <laughs> rate's pretty high on that. <laughs> And he played on the Royal Purple American football team as a defensive lineman wearing number 85. I believe that because he was he a solid He has dude. the look. Yeah. He's, yep. he's got the build of a guy that yep. played football back in that time. Yep. Richardson later was a radio DJ while at Lamar College where he studied, studied pre-law and was a member of the band and chorus. Oh, so he has 
like uh, academic, mm-hmm. bit, studying studying pre law. Yeah, all these guys have pretty interesting lives. Yeah, no kidding. It's, it makes I didn't it, know about it that. It makes it even I more know. sad. It's all fun and games right now until we get to the tragedy, which is awful. So Richardson, who played guitar, began began his musical career as a songwriter. The man who launched launched Richardson as a recording artist was Harold Pappy Daly from Houston. Pappy Daly. Pappy Daly. Only somebody from Houston would be called Pappy Daly. Ex- yes. Or, well, that would fit probably in North and South Carolina, too. Yeah. Pappy Daly. I don't know. There's something about Texas, you know? That's true. God bless Texas. <laughs> Sorry, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Although Quincy Zach is not a native. also lives in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a lot of Southerners who listen, actually. Yes, we do. And have a good sense of humor about it. So, Pappy Daly was a promotion director for Mercury and Starday Records and signed Richardson to Mercury. Mm-hmm. Richardson's first single, Beggar to a King, had a country flavor but failed to gain any chart action. He soon cut Chantilly Lace mm-hmm. as the Big Bopper, which was his first time using that um, stage name. It's such a DJ song, mm-hmm. too. You can tell he was a DJ. And that's such a DJ name, the Big, the Big Bopper. Bopper. Yeah. This is the Big Bopper speaking. Yes. That's how he said it, yeah. For Pappy Daly's D-label. So Mercury bought the recording and released it at the end of June 1958. It slowly began picking up air airplay through july and august and reached number six on the pop chart spending 22 weeks in the national top 40 wow in november 1958 he scored a second hit a raucous novelty tune entitled <laughs> the big bopper's wedding which i have heard that song <laughs> i don't think I it's have. pretty cheesy it's, i think i've honestly only ever heard it's, chantilly lace it's more corny than chantilly lace oh well, baby that's and, what i like chantilly lace is pretty corny <laughs> Like, it is really like, like rock and roll could have gone in that direction. <laughs> the no- well, yeah. you know what? There's always been a novelty vein of rock. Mm-hmm. and it Absolutely. It still it exists today. It was sort of like, um, and then it was like itsy bitsy teeny weeny and ooh ee ooh ah ah ting yeah, tang. And weird. then like Weird Al. Yeah. And like there's always been the offshoot. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. Novelty records are fun. Like in limited doses. Yes. Very limited. <laughs> So, both Chantilly Lace and Big Bopper's Wedding were receiving top 40 radio airplay through January 1959. There was not a great... Um, so, that's it on the Big Bopper. Okay. There was not a great deal of information on the pilot, uh, but I did want to yeah. recognize Roger Peterson as well. Yeah. And the little info that there is out there on him, I include in several okay. events coming up. Okay. Um, so, we're going to hear a little bit more about him, but there's just not a whole lot of info. I, well, this is... It's 1959 years ago, yeah, 61, 61 years, years ago. ago. Um, but I do appreciate that that you're trying to include that because it's like you know Kobe Bryant died recently mm-hmm. with his daughter, and people like tried to do a better job of like, look, it wasn't just somebody famous on here. There no. was a bunch of people who died, and and they all need to be um, given equal billing, I guess. For and, lack and of I, a- better word and but. i think people having all the tributes and stuff to Kobe bryant they weren't i don't think they were no, disrespecting no, the memories I agree. I agree. but it's just when you have uh i mean i think Kobe bryant you can easily and now he will be because he's mm-hmm. passed away mm-hmm. um i think you could have called him a living icon for sure yeah. I mean, he had just retired yeah he, he he's easily a top 10 greatest basketball player ever gotcha. and he's only 41 years old and he's gone to go slightly off topic which i know we never do Never. Um, do you feel like that story just like disappeared? Yeah. Do you they, think it's because of the political yes, stuff or the absolutely. okay, because yeah. it's like an election cycle? Do you think if this had happened last year it would have lasted longer in the news or like the year before? I something? just think in the age of Trump, he just gobbles up 
all the, all the attention, all the air in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, gotcha. that is that is one of his weapons. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. He's good at doing that. Yeah. So yeah, that that I that struck me as just like, geez, everyone was so like gutted, and then nothing. Like, no, or yep. not a word. On to the next thing. Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. how uh, that's how news cycles work these I days. Yes, it's a little they, on an hourly basis. Yeah. We're so, a little too well informed. Yeah. Right. So now we have information on all the singers and the pilot. A little yeah, information on yeah. the pilot. So now let's get into what led to this plane crash. And what, fortunately, what led to this plane crash was the Winter Dance Party Tour. Yeah. So the tour began in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on January 23rd, 1959. And the performance at Clear Lake on February 2nd was the 11th of 24 scheduled locations. Wow, so they're about halfway through. Mm-hmm. Real quick, I do want to just mention that um well for one thing touring has always been the lifeblood of musicians from a financial perspective um and also just from a performing perspective like you can record all day and there are some musicians who are more recording artists than they are live artists but music performance has always been a live art and um not only that, but it is the most lucrative side. Uh, so it's like, that's your hustle. You're a musician, that's your hustle. That's your game. That's how you make a living, even coming close to making a living, right? Unless you're like a studio musician um, who, who plays on other people's records. But um, especially back then, these guys oh, you were had not to. seeing royalties. No. The, the record no contracts to play were live. shit. Yeah. Or if there were any, and people were being taken advantage of left and oh, right. Oh, and man- management, are. yes. Management got all the money back then. People still are, like, on the reg, but back then it was rampant. Like, it was absolutely predatory. Um, I don't know the circumstances in this particular case, but basically you could be someone who had, what did the Big Bopper have, like 22 weeks? Or was it Richie Valens? 22 no, weeks it was Big on Bopper the, spent 22 weeks yeah, in the top 40. In the top 40. And you're fucking playing in Clear Lake, Iowa, going to like Moorhead, Minnesota, or whatever. Also at this, but also at this moment, you have to keep in mind, rock and roll is still a new thing. Yes, that's true. And you're right about you're, that. You're playing to essentially wherever people will have you. That's true. So. But I guess I, I'm saying like there's a hustle still oh, God, involved, yeah. and these guys, even at the top of their game. Because of, yes, the time, the circumstances, and just the nature of being a musician, they were still doing the hustle. Uh, not the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do hustle. I mean, like, the every day I'm hustling hustle. That one. Yeah. Just to be clear. Yeah. So the amount of travel soon became a logistical problem. The distances between venues had not been properly considered when the performances were scheduled, and instead of circling around the Midwest to each town... The tour zigzagged with distances between cities over 400 miles or 640 kilometers. <laughs> very good. That's, uh, so just some, whoever, it just wasn't the very well or planned. Whatever just didn't plan it out, right? Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. And it's such a grind. Ugh. And it's basically like, and you're hauling shit. It's basically Ugh. like you three, and plus Dion and the Belmonts. They, oh, that's right. Can you the name the four of them? I cannot. A Dion song. He I did just Run know Around the name. Sue. Oh, okay. I know that song. Yeah. That's a great song. Yep. Um, so at this point, it's just, you're all hot right now. You're famous. Let's just, just, just get you get, on the road. Just get out there. Let's make the money. Mm-hmm. Money, money, money. There's... We don't need your money, money, money. 
you're singing a, a modern dance track during please i don't even know if please that's make the it right stop. words <clears throat> they used to play that at I will not say the name of the store just in case. The store I used to work at at the mall. <laughs> there like you go. every day I heard no, that. No, there's song. no way that song was played at a mall. <laughs> Come on now. So General Artist In 2012. <laughs> yeah. So General Artist Corporation, which was the organization that booked the tour, yeah. later received considerable criticism for their seemingly total disregard for the conditions they forced the touring musicians to endure. Yeah, no kidding. It's like just poor working conditions to yeah, to have to yeah, this is shit. Piss poor well, planning is well, what it is. Let's get into the poor working conditions. Oh boy! So the entire company oh, yeah, of musicians. Yeah, frostbite at yes, one point. Yeah, comes up. Hang on, let me uh, sort because you'd like to do back. I'm okay. sorry, it, I know. it did that automatically. It's I didn't okay. realize. I was trying to just print it, but I was also trying to print it one side. But I was also trying to avoid seeing the title. I know. So it's okay. So the entire company of musicians traveled together in one bus. Although the buses used for the tour were wholly inadequate, breaking down and being replaced frequently. These are 1959 buses, too. This isn't like the They literally get a tenth of a mile a gallon. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) And there there aren't as many gas stations back then. No. (laughs) They're still calling cars automobiles. Yeah, automobile. Look at this fancy automobile. automobile. We might, I bet there, if there's anybody old who listens to us, they're like, fuck you. This was in 1922. <laughs> That's true. The car had been around it's for quite a while at this while, point. Yeah. <laughs> the horseless carriage. Yes. But they probably, there probably were plenty of people in the 50s that called them automobiles. I, I think so. Or I, the, or the even thing, or even around the world too. People in the UK, I yeah. think, have always kind of called them automobiles, right? I don't know. Let us know, friends in the UK. Do you call them autos or know, automobiles? Let us know, actually. Uh, <laughs> it's really funny. Um, the the word that always gets me is when people say vehicle in our vehicle. Ve- That's a southern yes, thing. It is vehicle. Southern thing. Our vehicle. So now that we have our regional dialects <laughs> regarding uh, down, regarding yeah. the transportation by a car yep. or whatever you might call it, mm-hmm. so the uh, the artists themselves were responsible for loading and unloading oh, their own equipment on each stop. They didn't which even have roadies. Sucks. Damn I know. It. They didn't even have roadies. That so, sucks. So I must go off on a little diatribe here okay. because I used to work at an Irish pub in downtown Raleigh mm-hmm. where. We had live music five nights out of seven. Mm-hmm. And obviously Friday and Saturday nights were the biggest draws. draws yeah. So the biggest... I had to have seen this so many times and I always felt like so sad for these <laughs> unshowered, like hungry... The roadies? No, or no. The, the musicians. The, the musicians yeah. just, you could tell like hadn't showered in a couple of days, mm. hadn't eaten. They were just... It's a grind, man. It's hard work. They were just drinking beer and smoking weed. It's and hard work. trying to stay awake on the I would, you would see it. But the cool thing was, because they played shows, we gave them meals for free. That's good. That's good. And they would eat. Kind of the least of any. They would do. eat everything. There was not... <laughs> there was not... There was not, like, a scrap left on any plate that I cleared. Oh, here's something really funny. In my other band, um, we booked a gig. That was a repeat gig to a venue. I'm going to keep this very vague. Um, at a, another... A venue that we've played at before. That actually like emailed or texted um the woman in our band who's like the one who sets up gigs and they were like 
Hey, so last time you came, the people who came with you, I don't know if they're like in AA or what, but they just didn't drink. And we need, if people don't drink next time, we're not going to invite you back. We're not going to make any money, so fuck off. And poor, (laughs) I'm not going to say your name because I don't want to give anything too identifying, but this, this poor woman was like... Texting the rest of us band members, being like, "Please get people to show up because all my friends are in AA, and oh so they're God. not gonna drink." And I'm like, "Come on, not to her, but to the venue." I'm like, "Come on, it, maybe your yeah. maybe your booze is shitty, and that's your problem. Not that, that could be as well. Not our people as a draw. Like maybe do better business. So, so I'm yeah, not naming anybody, <laughs> right?" Yeah, so as I was reading this and writing this, I was like, man, I've seen that so many times, and it's always, like, kind of disheartening looking. (laughs) Well, I've never not hauled my own gear, although I'm lucky enough to have you and my dad Mm -hmm. help out a lot. And just the fact that I lug this gigantic amp, I have many a male colleague say, oh, let me get that for you. So I I work the lady card when I can. There you go. It doesn't quite make up for everything else, but it's, <laughs> no, it it's, it's, it's a, a small, uh, small it's comfort. A, yeah. So adding to the disarray, the buses were not equipped for the winter weather, oh, God. which consisted of, in some areas, waist-deep snow. You're talking a fucking Iowa. This is in the Midwest. the Midwest in fucking late January, January. early February. Yeah, God. It's cold as fuck. And there's, yeah. Having lived through several Minnesota winters, <laughs> like it's no thanks. The last, brutal. the last thing I would want to do in upstate New York, where I, and by upstate New York, yeah. I mean north of Canada. Syracuse, by Canada. Yeah, by Canada. The last thing I'd want to do in January and February would be go on tour in a like a non-insulated <laughs> fuck no 1950s era bus. No, you couldn't pay me enough. No. Even if I was making like two million dollars a Jeez. gig, I'd be like, no, sorry, thanks, oh it's not God. worth it. So oh God, and if they had lived, this would have been like a great like story to tell. One oh, day. it would have been a book. Yeah. It might be. It, yeah. It's probably a for book the guys from who, yeah, yeah from some other band yeah. that had mm-hmm. to deal with this shit too. Dion. So yeah, Dion and the Belmonts. Yeah, yeah. Dion Demucci, I think his name was. And the, is and the is? the temperatures. Hmm. So you have the waist deep snow in several oh, areas, geez. and the temperatures ranged from twenty degrees Fahrenheit or minus seven degrees oh, Celsius. To as low as minus thirty six degrees <laughs> no, Fahrenheit. Fuck that. But that's only minus thirty eight Celsius. Oh, it's the point where they almost weird, catch yes, up. Yes, that's that weird point. That's how fucking cold it, it was. So weird, where they yeah. were playing, I believe it's minus forty two. Is, is, is that when it is when it equals, levels out? Yeah. But oh ima- yeah. man, no way. And I grew no up in this way. kind of shit, so I know how fucking cold God. it can get. No, that's and you're, just and this isn't, brutal. This isn't taking into account like wind and like fuck, no, that's fuck right. All that yeah, these bullshit. are just temperatures. That's why we live in the southeast now. <laughs> so one bus had a heating system that broke down shortly after the tour began in Appleton, Wisconsin. Oh Jesus, no! I have, I've flown in and out of there. Wisconsin. Oi. Uh, later, Richardson and Valens began experiencing flu-like flu-like symptoms, and drummer Buddy Holly, uh, drum Buddy Holly He's drummer. drummer. Carl Bunch was hospitalized for sever- severely frostbitten feet. Jeez. This is a drummer. He has frostbitten feet. He, well, you need your feet as a drummer. Yes, you do. It's kind of important. Uh, after the tour bus broke down in the middle of the highway in sub-zero temperatures near Ironwood, Michigan. Um, Very quick aside. You don't technically need your feet as a musician. I'm sure there are footless musicians. Or, sorry, drummers. Specifically, just like there are armless drummers. So... Just well, Rick clear. Allen has one arm. He has one arm. 
I'm just trying not arm. to be ableist. No, I understand. But... Like, I'm not saying you can't play the drums if you don't have feet. No. I'm sure there are footless drummers. There probably are nowadays. Right? Everything is electronic. It's adaptable, too. Yeah. So, but for someone who's used to playing with his feet, whose feet are then dro- frostbitten, that's guess a problem. What, guess what you don't have in 1959 <laughs> are electronic oh, yeah. drum sets. <laughs> well, and also adaptability of any type. Yeah. <laughs> Those are two Accessibility things. Accessibility is not a thing. <laughs> I mean, the uh, the act that uh, the Disabled Americans Rights... Americans with Disabilities, disabilities Act. Disabilities Act wasn't okay. signed into law until literally 30 I years know. later. <laughs> so, Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Good luck getting around with no feet. Or a frostbutton one. So the musicians replaced that bus with another school bus. A school bus. And kept traveling. After Bunch was hospitalized, Carlo Mastrangelo of the Belmonts took over the drumming duties. When Dion... So this is kind of cool. So when Dion and the Belmonts were performing, the timekeeping... Notice how I use that word. Yeah. Being a drummer. Mm -hmm. Was taken by either Valens or Holly. Oh, okay. So either one of them would... flip-flopped. Yeah. Okay, good. As Holly's group had been the backing band for all of the acts, Holly, ah. Valens, and Minstrangelo took turns playing drums for each other at the performances in Green Bay, Wisconsin, Aww. and Clear Lake, Iowa. Good so, for them! They're being like, they're being good friends. It's like, hey, friends. we gotta, we gotta good, do it. They're they're doing the musician code thing where it's like, hey, yeah, we'll we'll do you a solid. We'll help you out. Let's help each other out. Mm-hmm. We're all we're all doing this. We're That's all awesome. we're all playing with each other's bands. We're all on tour anyway. That's precious. Yeah. and it's gonna get so bad. It is next, isn't it? So on Monday, February second, the tour arrived in Clear Lake, Iowa, having driven 350 miles <laughs> or 560 <laughs> kilometers from the previous day's concert in Green Bay. I wish I had known. Because I think this place still exists in Green Bay. I wish I had known that when I was there oh, last year. Oh, to visit it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The town had not been scheduled, had not been a scheduled stop, but the tour promoters, hoping to fill an open date, <laughs> called the manager of the local of surf ballroom, Carol Anderson, and offered him the show. Mm-hmm. He accepted, and they set the show for that night. By the time Holly arrived at the venue that evening, he was frustrated with the ongoing problems of the bus. Yeah. The next scheduled destination after Clear Lake was Moorhead, Minnesota, a 365-mile, or 587-kilometer drive north and northwest, and, reflecting the poor planning, a journey that would take them directly back through two towns yes! they had already played within the last week. I'm like, wait a second. Why are they going from Wisconsin it's, to yeah. Iowa to Minnesota? It's like you got to hit the little towns and cities <clears throat> in each state before you move to the next state. Just succession. Yeah. Just literally like you're supposed to go. Or at least on the same. Line. Or at least going. General direction. direction. We're heading Not west. Zi- like you said zigzag. That's yes. exactly what they're doing. We're heading doing. directly west. Ugh. We'll pick up these five towns. Then we're heading south. We'll pick up these ten towns. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's just poor planning. So the following day, they were scheduled to travel back almost directly south to Sioux City, Iowa. She, again, th- back to <laughs> Iowa? Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. Motherfucker, we're, what the fuck? You would think that they would. their next destination would be Sioux City, Iowa. Yeah. Seeing as how they're already in, in Iowa. Lake, yes. I mean, I don't know. State. I don't know how big it is, but I'm guessing... Iowa's not huge. I don't think it is, but I'm... And, and I'm guessing that... Cities in the same state is probably a, a quicker drive than one that's two yes, states over, two unless states Unless you're in a weird sta- <laughs> I've state. I've got hiccups. That's okay. A weird state like, um, like say you're in the Texas Panhandle. It might be quicker that's to go true. to Oklahoma yeah, than to true. go to like San Antonio. Man, I'm really proud of myself for pulling that out. There that's go. some good geography there. Very nice. Some good American geography. I'm, I'm glad you were doing that because I would not have been able to pull that <laughs> off. 
<laughs> so, yes, there you go. So, uh, Buddy Holly chartered a plane to take himself and his mm. band to Fargo, North Dakota, which is adjacent to Moorhead. So, there we go. Oh, okay. Two cities in different states, but close enough to each yep. other. Yep. So, the rest of the party would have picked him up in Moorhead, saving him the journey in the bus and leaving him time to get some rest. Oh, so he was trying to do a solid. He was he like... He was just trying to... Well... Well, and for, for himself, himself. But for and his... And for his band. Dudes, too. Yeah, yep. his mates. Yeah. So, Carol Anderson, who is, again, that, that's a man, by the way. Well, uh, Carol the, is a name that is unisex, right. yes. Not very frequently. So. <clears throat> Not in modern day, no. but but back in the day, yeah. Again, like, he uh, is the... Carol uh, O'Connor, the... Yep, absolutely. Um, Archie, Archie Bunker. So, again, he is the owner of the surf ballroom in Clear Lake. Okay. Iowa. Uh, so, he called uh, Hubert Jerry Dwyer, who was the owner <laughs> of... Hubert. <laughs> yes who was the owner of Dwyer Flying Service, to charter a plane to fly to Hector Airport, which was in Fargo, closest one to Moorhead. Okay. Flight arrangements... Flight arrangements... Flight, flight arrangements <laughs> were made with Roger Peterson, again, okay. the uh, the pilot that I mentioned uh, recently. Uh-huh. He was 20 years old and described as... 21 what? years old. Yeah. And described as a young married man who built his life around flying. Oh, so he was a baby, baby too. 21. We have all the bebes. These are all, except for the big bopper. Yeah, who's like 32. <laughs> and, and that's very young. It is still very young. You're the, correct. The other ones yeah. are kids. We're talking Children. 22, 21, and 17 are the other are the ages of the other three. That's so sad. And this is a 21-year-old who's like already building a life for himself. He's married. He's got a family. He's a pilot, which and in he, 1959 a is... a fantastic career. Yes, absolutely. Like, dudes being a, an upstanding, like, family man, like, I'm going to... I'm an, I love flying. I'm going to make my career my passion love, to take care I of my family. I love Clear Lake, Iowa. <laughs> yeah. I guess that, probably, was, that was, that was something... He's probably a yeah. sweet little Midwest boy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, the more research I did on this, the like the more it sad sadder. it got. It's just like these are. Oh, but we were having so much fun know, up until now. I know. Jeez. So the most widely accepted version of events that took place okay. before the flight was that Richardson had contracted the flu during the tour and asked Buddy Holly guitarist Waylon Jennings Aww. for his seat on the plane. Yeah. When Holly learned that Jennings was not going to fly, he said in jest, "Quote: Well, I hope your old bus freezes up." Jennings then responded with, quote, well, I hope your old plane crashes. I've heard that, too. I wonder, I I see what you're saying by, like, by all accounts, because honestly, like, the apocryphal stories that could come out. That has, like, its own Wikipedia page. Really? So I didn't. I decided to just leave it at that because you can get into all sorts of who You know said what, what we're talking about. Like, there are some disasters we cover <clears throat> that are so far back. Who the fuck knows what happened? Exactly. So... It, it but, may but just two, have made a good story, but... The two of them were, even if this is real, the two of them were just clearly fucking with each other. Clearly. And I mean, and they're like 22 years old, of course. They're just know. being silly. So... No, they didn't. And and if that's the case, I can't imagine the guilt that he felt after yes. that Well, that's... Happened. So it was a humorous but ill-fated response yeah. that uh, haunted Jennings for the rest of his life. Yeah. Allegedly. Well, if that happened, I'm mm-hmm. sure it did. I mean, not that it had anything to do with anything, but that's easy to say, like, from the outside. Yeah. That's not how you would feel. And this, and the next thing is just even kind of... The coin flip? Yes, creepier. I, that's the best word I could come up with. Yeah. 
But uh, Richie Valens, who once had a fear of flying. That's right. Yeah, because of the plane crash mm-hmm. over his fucking playgr- school yeah, playground. Over his Jeez. junior high playground, yeah. So he asked Buddy Holly guitarist Tommy Alsop for his seat on the plane. The two agreed to toss a coin to decide. Bob yeah. Hale, a disc jockey with Mason City's KRIBAM, was, work- was working the concert that night and flipped the coin in the ballroom's mm. side stage room shortly before the musicians departed for the airport. Mm. Valens won the coin toss for the seat on the flight. You know, <clears throat> just to state what I believe is that there is no such thing as fate. Shit just happens. Sometimes it turns out well. Sometimes it doesn't. Most of the time, it's neutral. Just completely benign and Mm -hmm. neutral. And how many ridiculous things have been decided on coin flips that had zero consequence for anybody. Right. These are flukes. This shit just happens. And I sure hope that nobody involved ended up being feeling tormented as a result. But I also know that they probably did. That they did. Yeah. Because that's just human. That's just human. But it's important to note that you can feel a certain way, but you still need to know, like it's not your fault. Sure, that's just shit. Shit happens. Yep. Aw. So now, unfortunately, we are on to the crash. This all started so joyfully. It did. But this isn't the joyful podcast. No, it's not. God damn it. So after the show ended, uh, this is in Clear Lake, Iowa, Mm -hmm. uh, Carol Anderson, again, the the owner of uh, the surf ballroom, drove Holly, Valens, and Richardson to Mason City Municipal Airport. What a, like, a small town thing Mm -hmm. that the owner of the venue, like, drives them. (laughs) He also got the charter. Oh, that's true, yeah. He also Mm -hmm. connected. uh, So he's like, hey, I'll I'll drive you there. He's like, I know a guy who knows a guy. You know, that's also the music world. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you guys need a ride, I'll give you a ride. You need a plane, I'll get you one. Whatever. (laughs) So the weather at the time of departure was reported as light snow with sky obscured, visibility six miles, and winds from 20 to 30 miles per hour. I don't love the sound of that. Although deteriorating weather was reported along the planned route, the weather briefings Peterson received failed to relay that information. So oh, the whole so he ride... he's not getting full information. The whole ride was going to be like this. He's thinking oh, this is just how it's going to be at takeoff. Yeah. So so he was, he was operating on bad information. Yes. That was not his fault at no. all. Yeah. And we're going to get into more of that. Oh. Um, so the plane took off normally from runway 17, which is today's runway 18, at 12.55 a.m. Central Time. Uh, yeah, because it's after a gig, mm-hmm. after the, like, all the screaming teenagers have left. Which is <laughs> what they just experienced. Yeah. But they're all... But and they, after Carol drove, yeah. <laughs> but they can't even take it in because they gotta get to the next thing. They were know? just probably <clears throat> so fucking exhausted. Even at their age, this was probably, like, kicking their ass. Yeah. So Dwyer witnessed the takeoff from a platform outside of the control tower. He was able to see clearly the aircraft's taillight for most of the brief flight, which started with an initial left turn onto a northwesterly heading and a climb to 800 feet. This would be a really short flight, too, because, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's just like a state over, basically. The taillight was then observed gradually descending until it disappeared. Around 1 a.m., when Peterson failed to make the expected radio mm. contact, repeated attempts to establish communication were made at Dwyer's request by the radio operator, but they were all unsuccessful. God, that must have... That, like, that's when your, like, stomach starts to sink, mm-hmm. and you're like, shit, Something's this isn't wrong. good. 
Later that morning, Dwyer, having heard no word from Peterson since mm. his departure, took oh. off in another airplane to retrace Peterson's planned oh route. Oh my god, really? Within minutes, around 9.35 a.m., he spotted the wreckage less than six miles northwest of the airport. So they barely made They'd it. got off the ground. That was kind of oh it. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. The sheriff's office alerted by Dwyer dispatched Deputy Bill mm. McGill, who drove to the crash site, which was in a cornfield belonging to Albert Jewell. That's that's what an Iowa thing. It was in a this this also reminds me very much of like when you said um, that they dispatched someone. I pictured Marge from Fargo, like a little bit. Okay, getting her stuff together and going out. That's I mean, because this is just some Iowa sheriff department guy, like literally about to witness the carnage of of, an, of a plane crash and, and of a. a, a a historic event, a terrible historic event. So we're about music. to get into uh, said carnage of plane crash. Aww. So the implant, the the implane, the airplane. I hope that made somebody laugh. <laughs> the airplane impacted the terrain at high speed, mm. estimated to have been at around 170 miles an hour. Oh, I don't like that. Banked steeply to the right and in a nose down altitude. Oh God! So they just nosedived. The right wing tip had struck the ground first, sending the aircraft cartwheeling no. across the frozen field for 540 feet Jesus before coming to rest against a wire fence at the edge of Jewel's property. The bodies of Holly and Valens had been ejected from the fuselage oh, and, they, and lay near the plane's wreckage. Richardson's body had been thrown over the fence and into the cornfield of Jewel's neighbor, Oscar Moffat, while Peterson's body was entangled in the wreckage. God... With the rest of the entourage en route to Minnesota, Carol Anderson, who had driven the party to the airport and witnessed the plane's mm-hmm. takeoff, had to identify the bodies of oh, the musicians. Man. Oh, man. Like, here, can you identify the people, the people you literally just, like, hours earlier drove to their Are these the people who were death? alive eight hours ago? Oh, God, that's brutal. County Coroner Ralph Smiley certified that all four victims died instantly, thankfully. Well, okay, small favors, yeah. but we... One can only hope. And honestly, did he know they died instantly? True. Well, and I'm but, sure... I mean, let's say yes. I hope so. Let's just say yes. I just hope it was quick and it they be- didn't see it coming. Because it happens at such high speeds, I would think that yes. Yeah. 170 miles an hour that's, going into the ground. That's Unfortunately, it's probably really scary up until that yeah. point. Oh, man. God, but I, I hope it. But I. But bad. I also hope it wasn't. We'll get into that later. Okay. About the the, the plane's instruments. Oh, so okay. We'll get into that in a little bit. It might have been really just instant. I, that's what I'm hoping. Oh, okay. That they didn't see it coming at all. Um. So they cited the cause of death as gross trauma to the brain for the three artists yeah. and brain damage for the pilot. Oh God. So their heads, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. So the oh. aftermath. Mm. Buddy Holly's pregnant wife learned of his death. That's it. That yes, oh, yes. Okay. Pregnant wife. Yes. I I thought that either he had a little baby or she was pregnant with their first child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she learned of his death via a television news report. Oh God, that's the worst. A widow after only six months of marriage, she suffered a miscarriage shortly after, <gasps> reportedly due to psychological trauma. No shit. Oh, I thought she had the baby. Mm. Oh. Holly's mother. Well, yeah, like your your body's just thrown into a fucking. Uh, my husband's dead. Yeah. 
and your body's like, okay, I'm sorry. And I it's can't not do like you're hearing else. it from like a Ugh, a warm Jesus. like a priest or like a no. trusted source. You just heard it on the news. You saw it on the TV. That's yeah. well, isn't that what they not to draw any more parallels? But isn't that what happened with um, Kobe Bryant's wife? Is she saw it like on Twitter? I don't know. I, that's what I heard. But anyway. we will get into mm-hmm. we will get into a little bit later a law that took place because of this. Okay. So. Uh, Buddy Holly's mother, on hearing the news on the radio at home in Lubbock, Texas, screamed and collapsed. Oh my god, that's the worst. So, and this is this is something I did not know at all. Okay. Mm. So, despite the tragedy, the Winter Dance Party Tour did not stop. 15-year-old Bobby V was given the task of filling oh, in for Red, Holly. A uh, rubber ball. Oh, mm-hmm. God. At the next scheduled performance in Moorhead. In That's part the name because, of the song he did, by yes. the way. That's why I said mm-hmm. rubber ball. I listened to some of his stuff, I come too. I bounce him back to you. Uh, in part because he knew all of the words to all of the songs, meaning Buddy oh, Holly's songs. Oh, Jesus. So Jennings and Alsup uh, also carried on for two more weeks, with Jennings taking Holly's place as, as lead singer. Wow, so they just kind of had to... Well, okay, so there's two sides of this. One is, that's awful. The other is, when you have legal obligations, this is still a business. Mm-hmm. When you have... Le- as as um, I know, because we have to figure out our dripper situation, because we fucking signed contracts. And I don't think you want it to be me. <laughs> well, you can't, because you're working. We, we already established that. But um, just, like... It sounds terrible, but there is like a, there are actual business obligations, and mm-hmm. the in an ideal non-capitalist world, everyone would just be like, "It's okay, we're canceling it all. We'll refund everybody's money. We get it." But yeah, yeah, it's we're, we're not. In a it's just it's just society. a it's just a bad situation for I mean everybody involved. It, puts, it, it just everything is terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, that's a great name of a song and Everything a band. Everything is awful. So, meanwhile, funerals for the victims were held individually. Mm. Uh, Buddy Holly and, and J.P. Richardson were buried in Texas, and Richie mm. Valens in California, yeah. and uh, Peterson in Iowa. In Iowa, yeah. So they all went back home. Yep. That's good. Uh, Buddy Holly's widow, Maria Elena, did not attend the funeral. She later said in an interview, mm. quote, in a way, I blame myself. I was not feeling well when he left. I was two weeks pregnant, and I wanted Buddy to stay with me, but he had scheduled that tour. Oh, so she was super early. Mm-hmm. It was the only time I wasn't with him. Huh. And I blame myself because I know that. Aww. If I had only gone along, Buddy never would have gotten into that airplane. No, no. That's a, that's the thing you can't do to yourself. Like, I get but it. it's natural That's to do That's it. exactly what I was talking about. Like, that type of shit just happens sometimes, and you can't blame yourself, but of course you're going to, because it's human. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Aw, poor sweetie. So, into the investigation of the crash. Oh, wow. So, the official investigation was carried out by Civil Aeronautics Board, known as the CAB, which is the precursor to what is NTSB. now the, the NTSB. Mm-hmm. Okay. It emerged that Peterson had over four years of flying experience. At 21, wow, mm-hmm. so he was already pretty seasoned. Yep, of which one year was with uh, Dwyer Flying Service, and he had okay. accumulated 711 hours. That's not bad for he, such a young guy. He, right, he had also, but here's where it's going to get a little, mm. you know. He had also logged 52 hours of instrument flight training, although he had passed only his written examination. Oh. And was not yet qualified to operate in weather that required flying solely by reference to instruments. 
okay. which this flight was going to take. But he didn't know that, right? Oh, well, okay, well, you're getting, yes. you're continuing. Sorry. So he and Dwyer Flying Service itself were certified to operate only under visual flight rules, which essentially oh. require that the pilot must be able to see where he is going. So not the poor visibility that was. Re- that was that was something then. he kind of knew anyway because there was already poor visibility visibility when he was taking off but he thought it was but he didn't up. exactly so he's taking a little bit he's taking chance. a chance he was <laughs> but he's 21 mm-hmm. that's what you do when you're 21 mm-hmm. however on the night of the accident just as we were just talking about visual flight would have been virtually impossible due yeah. to the low clouds the lack of a visible horizon and the absence of ground lights over the sparsely populated area mm-hmm. Furthermore, oh, fucking Iowa. Yeah, you're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's, it's literally, literally just nothing. <laughs> but For, especially 1959 Iowa. Probably still looks fairly the same, I would guess. I don't know. <laughs> Furthermore, Peterson, who had failed an instrument check ride nine months before the accident, meaning he went on an instrument test in his plane and, and didn't, didn't pass. Do so well. Uh, he had received his instrument training on airplanes equipped with a conventional artificial horizon as a source of af- aircraft a- altitude information. While the plane that that he crashed was equipped with an older altitude gyroscope. So he just wasn't in a plane that he had. That he knew the instruments on. On top of he didn't have his. Certification. Mm -hmm. Doing what he was doing. But but you know what? Dwyer service let him do it too. Well, I mean, it's again, it's it's just a bad circumstance. It's a lot of balls being dropped at once. mm -hmm, Uh Not the best decisions. So, yeah. crucially, the two types of, I- of instruments display the same airplane pitch altitude information in graphically opposite ways. So, oh, it just looked completely different. Well, up is down, down is up, oh, okay. depending on which aircraft you're in. Okay. And So, he was literally thinking the exact opposite of what the instrumentation was showing him. Exactly. Exactly. I don't like that. No. So, the Civil Aeronautics Board concluded that the probable cause of the accident was the pilot's unwise decision to embark on a flight in the first place. So he shouldn't have been flying. That required instrument flying skills he had not proved to have. Contributing factor was Peterson's unfamiliarity with the old-style altitude gyroscope fitted on board the aircraft, which may have caused him to believe that he was climbing when he was was in fact descending, which is an example of spatial disorientation. Yeah, that's right. Another contri- contributing factor was the seriously inadequate re- weather briefing provided to Peterson, yeah. which, quote, failed to even mention adverse flying conditions, which should have been highlighted. Oh, damn it. I don't like any of that. No. I mean, just... I was not expecting to like any of this, but that's... Oh, and they're all bibbas. They're all little bibbas. They're all 20 and... oh. They're all kids, except and even the one guy is... 32 or 33 so and he wasn't like involved in it he was just sick no. and was like hey can i get on this plane yeah oh so my it's, god that's just heartbreaking it's just it's just a series of bad decisions that led to this well the, bad the, the decisions two, the tour, and random things the tour itself yeah. which is why I, I go into it the tour yes, itself led to right. people getting in this airplane because you know you're what right. they didn't want to drive fucking 400 miles the next day after having just driven 350 miles the previous day and if day. they hadn't been working them like workhorses yeah. that they wouldn't had to and... yeah so it's just it's just a series of bad decisions <sighs> and awful. it results in a plane crash mm. So, the legacy. Obviously, there's a. Oh Jesus! We could go. We, the legacy could have its own podcast. podcast. Yes. So, um, 
I think most people are aware of that, so I didn't dive into it too much, okay. but just to go over some things. Yeah, hit the highlights. So, as I had mentioned earlier, um, following the miscarriage suffered by Holly's wife and the circumstances oh. in which she was informed of his death, a nationwide policy was later adopted by authorities not to disclose victims' names until after their families have been informed. I would like to reenact the Michael Scott gif of, thank you! Right? Like, holy Like, what a horrible shit. way to find out. Like, somebody no, close to you. No, literally no human being should have to live through something like that. No. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And that came from this Good. tragedy, well, that, which is... I feel terrible for her that she had to live through that, but I'm glad that happened. I mean, and I know that... In like, the in sense the, that it made people aware. In the TMZ days, yeah. that, ship, that ship has sailed. Pretty much. But um, but at least they tried. Yeah. You know, that's, that's good. So fans of Holly, Valens, and Richardson have been gathering for annual memorial concerts at the Surf Ballroom. I guess it's still oh, there. Wow. In Clear Lake since 1979. Oh, okay. Since the 20-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Aw. In June 1988... A f- you don't have anything else to flip. You oh, okay, good. That. Nice. In June 1988, a four-foot-tall granite memorial bearing the names of Peterson and the three yeah, entertainers was dedicated outside the surf ballroom with Peterson's widow, parents, and sister in attendance. Aww. The event marked the first time that the families of Holly, Richardson, Valens, and Peterson had all gathered together. Wow, that's major. So it took almost 30 years, but hey, better late than never. And they were all like maybe 50, 30 years after the fact. No shit, right? (laughs) Yeah. So in 1989, Ken Paquette, a Wisconsin fan of the 1950s era, made a stainless steel monument that depicts a guitar and a set of three records bearing the names of the three performers killed in the accident. That's sweet. The monument is on private farmland north of Clear Lake. Paquette also created a similar stainless steel monument to the three musicians located outside the Riverside Ballroom in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where Holly, Richardson, and Valens played their second-to-last show on the night of February 1st, 1959. Mm -hmm. This second memorial was unveiled on July 17, 2003. In February 2009, a further site memorial made by Paquette for Peterson was unveiled at the crash site. That's kind of sweet that mm-hmm. he was like, look, I'm going to make sure that this gets memorialized. That's, that's kind of nice. This is kind of cool. A large plasma cut steel set of Wayfarer style glasses, Aww, similar yeah. to those Holly wore, the Buddy Holly glasses. sits at the access point to the crash site. Aww. So, yeah. it's a... Uh, this whole thing is just it's sad it we started so joyfully we did but now that's how we're gonna end okay because okay, now we're I'm gonna glad. talk because now we're gonna talk about la bomba okay lou diamond phillips yes <laughs> he can make us feel better yes he can <laughs> he's very versatile in he that, is a in versatile that actor so of course we're gonna talk about the 1987 hit movie la bomba featuring lou diamond phillips Ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
First time I ever. Oh was yeah, that's aware right. He was the man- he was the manager, right? No, he's the pitcher. Oh, that's right. Yep. That's right. Um, and when he hadn't gone crazy yet. And the Celebrity Apprentice, back when Donald Trump was just a ridiculous <laughs> reality show star a and game not show host. the person ruining our country. So, um, so. Well, he's just one of the people ruining. One of the many, the, many yeah. people. But um, he's just the stupidest. He's the figurehead. <laughs> The, the, the fucking dumbest running. of all of them, and you know, that's or, fucking it, saying something. Yeah, him or Ted Cruz, who knows? But no, no, he's no. Not Ted's smart, dumb. just in a devious kind mm, of way. I'm not sure I'd call him smart. Like uh, his um, daughter recoils from it. That's true. So she's smart. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's my Gary Busey points of references. Reference. Rookie of the Year and Celebrity Apprentice. He was in the very first uh, Lethal Weapon. He played the bad guy in that. Oh, uh, okay. Joshua. I only saw Lethal Weapon like once and all yeah. I remember is a mullet on um, Ben oh, Affleck. Yeah. That's not his name. Mel Gibson. <laughs> Mel Gibson, Ben Affleck. <laughs> they, they are literally nothing alike. Other than I now, hate both of now them. Now I'm trying to picture Ben Affleck in, <laughs> a mullet in, in, in Lethal, Lethal Weapon. weapon. <laughs> He's the spiritual successor of Mel Gibson. Uh, if they ever bring it back. <coughs> oh, boy. Well, they do a TV show of it. I'm not sure if it's still on. It had Damon yeah, Wayans. Yeah, that's right. I remember hearing about that. So, and last, but certainly not least, when okay. we're talking about Legacy, the 1971 Don McLean hit song, American that's Pie, right. which is the name of the song. Yeah. All eight minutes and 33 seconds of it. Yeah, it's a fucking long song. I know all the words to it. The Day the Music Died, which is just a portion of the lyrics of the song. It ends every chorus. Mm-hmm. Well, it, close to it. Close to it. Not every but, single one. Well, no, close to ends it, because this will be the day that I die mm-hmm. is technically the end yep. of the chorus. So, The Day the Music Died is how this tragedy is often referred to, as that's how we're referring to it as well. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just had to get that very it clear. Nobody, only Zach would care the about day that. The music, music died. died. So bye. It's we not referenced singing. in the chorus. It's it referenced not. at the end of every. To the lead up to the chorus. Lead up to the chorus. The end of every verse that leads to a chorus. Well, frankly, I think that Zach let's deserves just, us let's... to be uh, <laughs> particular, um, detailed, and correct. Of course, I'm also sure that Zach is like, are you fucking really including me in a Don McLean? Uh, conversation anyway go ahead <laughs> so in all seriousness <laughs> the song really revitalized interest in the three performers yeah, as true. it gained popularity in the early 70s so so like 12-ish years after little sidebar uh-huh. um, well not a little sidebar a major sidebar after this tragedy happened, rock and roll in America... That's absolutely right. Sort kind of, came, of just... There's a few things. The kind day, of just went away a little bit. The day the music died was one of... It's like a trifecta of things that happened. The day the music died was a big one. Because Buddy Holly especially... And Richie Valens was really up and coming. Not to disparage the big bopper, but he was... He represented the, he the novelty side. A, more, a little more than... He was a DJ, right? Yeah. Uh, like, at heart. Yeah. Which is important, but... Um, so, but Buddy Holly was kind of like the next big thing, and Richie Valens was sort of well, they gonna were, emerge. They were driving the genre forward musically. Yes, they were sort of the cutting edge of yes. it, right? Um, also, at the end of the 50s, I believe, um, Elvis was drafted. Yes, he was. Which ended his... Well, didn't end his music career, obviously, but put it on hold Postponed because, it. yeah, he had to go through all that shit. Um, and then Chuck Berry got arrested. 
Um, in part because he was being harassed for being a man of color. In part because it was the South and he was marrying an his underage cousin or something. Yeah, but anyway, it's, it's a little, it's well, a little we, suspicious, but let's, let's not get into that just yet. Let's not get into that just yet. So those three things really sort of stalled the development of rock and roll in America. And there was the very real possibility that it was going to potentially die out. But around that time, all of this music was making its way to the... Just um, getting over. Just getting the over pond. to the port cities mm-hmm. of the United Kingdom, like Liverpool, which is where um, the Beatles were. Also, the Merseyside was uh, getting up and running around that time. So, like, on, I've always said that uh, the early days of rock were a real symbiosis between... Rock was created in America, but it was developed in the UK. And, like, if the UK hadn't picked up that baton and moved it forward, it could have really died out. It could have. It could have just been a novelty. It could have. So, like, when, especially now that the Beatles are, like, quite a bit in the past and only a couple of them are still around and they're pretty ancient, um, it's easy to sort of be like, well, okay, what's the big deal about the Beatles? Part of it is that they literally kept rock and roll going. And part of it was because they were ridiculously influenced by Buddy Holly, Chuck Berry, and they also and, and the early American rockers. I'm admittedly, I'm not a huge Beatles fan. I appreciate a lot of their stuff, but people are like, yeah, the Be- I'm I'm not like a diehard Beatles person, but I can I can clearly recognize what what their they kept contra- rock going. Their contribution to rock and roll they was kept it going. was not only keeping it going, but also giving uh, being one of the first bands to come up with a concept. And having you know, oh, concept we could go on it. about yeah. the Beatles, but the Beatles and the Stones, uh, especially, really popularized rock, rock, and kept it going and brought it back to America. Yes. So it took like another five it, years. It, took, and it, it was came there back was about America. a four-year span where it was just well, kind of fifty-nine to sixty is when it was dying out in America. 64 but sixty-four is back. when it came back. That yep. was when the Beatles invaded America. Mm-hmm. The quote-unquote Beatles invaded America. So, um. Now, next week, we'll be delving into 1960 and to 1961 in our music, all bad music, <laughs> all bad rock but podcast. It, but it is, a, it is a period of, of music. Um, and the only it's reason, fascinating. the only reason I know about it is because I did my term paper on it. There is literally like this gap of roughly four bit. to five years where there's literally nothing happening Early in rock, rock and history roll. history is fascinating yeah. it is so and fascinating. then you have and then you have the beatles then you have which was probably the thing that kick-started rock music more than anything the vietnam war well the vietnam war like dirtied rock like i and i mean that well in a good sense i mean like it it made it rebellious but also like, took a, it into the mainstream in a way that it had it had never yeah done before well because there were more people receptive mm-hmm. to it exactly yeah. but like yeah. i always remember that um that PBS documentary, The History of Rock and Roll, which is brilliant. Which we watched. It's even, yeah, we did. Yes. It's even dated now because it was like it 30, 20, it was, 30 years ago. I was going to say, I think it was like in 1994 90s, is when they like did that, it. Yeah. And it's like um, there's been so much like since then. Like it ended at Nirvana or yes. something. But they're, um, they're like the cool thing happening now is grunge. But what I always remember about that documentary is it started with... Do you want to know what people were listening to before rock oh, and roll? Gee, oh and God. and I remember, you know what it was? The number one hit, like in 1954 or whatever, before all this shit started happening, 
was how much is that doggy in the I know, window? it's just, it's so terrible. Like, it's... that's how bad music was. <laughs> that's how vanilla and ridiculous music was. And exclusionary music was. Well, it, it was, and it was also, rock. it was almost, almost solely made for advertising at that point. I mean, it really. It might as well have been. Well, it that's, was so that's really, that was a big, vanilla. that was a big part of it. Come up with a jingle. It was all, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, how much is that doggy yeah. in the window? Oh, arf, arf. No, don't do that. The one with the waggedy <laughs> tail. So anyway, that's literally what they, the shit they were writing. But honestly, um, this song does bring shine a light on these performers that had the kind of American Pie. Oh, gotcha. Yep. Shine a light on these performers and because like revived an because by the time yes. the song came out in 1971. Rock and roll had gone mm-hmm. through a huge metamorphosis. Absolutely. And people had kind of somewhat forgotten about, oh, those guys. These were the guys who kind of started it all. Yeah. <laughs> or at least helped start it all. For Absolutely. sure. You Absolutely. Can't, you cannot write the history of rock and roll. You can leave the big That's bopper right. out of it, maybe, if you want to. You certainly cannot write it without Richie Valens and, and especially More Buddy Holly. More specifically Buddy Holly, yes. I think Richie Valens could have gotten to I think a much he, bigger... I think he, he would have. He was on his way to that. He was certainly on his way. He was 17. So. Yeah. But anyway. That so, was so amazing. That was to say that that was the day the music died. That was awesome. I mean, horrible. But I'm really proud of you. That well, I didn't know like ninety percent of I, that stuff. It's a topic I'd wanted to do for a while. Yeah. I was watching something a couple of months ago, and somebody had brought up like there was a Buddy Holly reference in there somewhere. And you were like, and oh. I was like, oh, I was like, we should do that. We I was absolutely- like, it's been on our list like for a long time. I right? was like, it is. I guess I'm like, it is fairly famous, but maybe to. I mean, people, it's sixty to, plus years ago. At this to people point. younger than us, like, is it? Like, did they? Which a lot of our listeners probably aren't. Yeah, because we're old. I mean, the, the the event itself is older than JFK getting shot. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> By five years. Yes. Which was also yeah. a cultural touchstone. <laughs> it was, but, but now uh, a very old one. Yes, but this is this had a. I mean, literally, just think if these guys passed away and nobody picked up that mantle. Yeah, I, I mean, and if it hadn't been for the UK, maybe mm-hmm. not. Yeah, may not have happened. That was awesome, Thank in you. the worst way possible. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um. So that was the day the music died, and this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm Rachel, and I'm David. We'll see you next week. <laughs>